Glory to God. Glory to God. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Hallelujah. The book of Ephesians. Glory to God. We are continuing in our series in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4. If I can find Ephesians, that'll be good. There it is. Glory to God. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. When you got it, say so. I'm going to read to verse 24. It says this. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because the, the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in him that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth that sets us free, God. Thank you for your love that you show us every day, my God. This morning, Lord, we humble our hearts before you and we pray, Spirit of the living God, that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself in our lives, that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but that we would be faithful doers of your word, Lord God. I pray that you would use me, that I would decrease, and that you would increase, and I pray that you be glorified in these next few moments. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So really quickly, if you do not have an outline, you can raise your hand and uh, ushers will get you one. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. We want to make sure that you're able to take notes. As always, I remind you that these outlines are part of what we do throughout the week. We meet together in small groups, or we would call what we call life groups, and we get together, we discuss the sermons, and so the way that we're doing it is we are a, a week behind in our discussions, so it's important for you that you, if you're part of a connect group, that you do take good notes, and that way you can remember all of the, all of the stuff that you were hearing that impacted your life, Amen. And then also, it is important as well, if you are not part of a connect group, I highly, highly encourage you to get connected, to get in, into a connect group, and that way you can begin to grow with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Pastor Chad, he is our connect group coordinator, and so you can see him after the service if you are not part of a connect group, but we want to make sure that we're growing in Christ. And so, as always, as we're going through this book, we have a memory verse, or verses in this case, and it is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And so, as I do every week and I will do every week until we're done with the book of Ephesians. My first question is, by raising your hand, let me know how many of y'all have memorized a scripture. Come on, raise your hand up if you've memorized a scripture. We got a few people. Okay, so we got a few people that need some help. Glory to God. And so is there anyone who has memorized a scripture who would like to come up here? Izzy, you doing it? He, he threw his hand up. So glory, he didn't even wait. He said, I want to do it. So let me get this on. You, you, you weren't going to give the adults an opportunity, huh? You're like, nah, 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 no, no, go ahead. 
I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the call with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Wait, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're doing it. <laughs> that's good, that's good. So since he didn't give the adults an opportunity, I'll give you an opportunity. Is there, is there an adult that would like to come share? Crickets, crickets, crickets. Like you heard the crickets in the room, right? Like, I love you. I love you adults. Y'all are, y'all, y'all, y'all letting the, the youth and children outdo us. That's all right. That's okay. It's all good. Let's go on ahead and let's repeat this together. So you repeat this with me. Say, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I remember I called out Dr. Mia Coleman Baker last week. And she, and she was looking down, so she reminded me because she was like had her head down. You ready? No, she ain't ready. All right, all right. Uh-uh, 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 don't, don't, that's all right. Next week, next week, we're going to give you another week, right? Amen. Next week, so y'all heard it. She said, all right, you heard that, right? All right. Next week, there's no, there's, I'm not even giving anyone an opportunity. I'm going to call her up, and we're going to get into this. Look, Cheryl was going to do it. Y'all going to do it together? Yeah? You're going to wear your outfits from the Kids Dome Service and the mad scientist up in here. Amen. All right, so we are in the book of Ephesians, and we are continuing on in our series, and so this is exciting times for us. And so today, the title of the message is Learn and Live. Learn and Live. And so if you follow me in your outline, you can be with me here in this introduction. But most of us, as we have grown up, have heard the saying, live and learn. How many of y'all have heard the saying? Raise your hand if you heard the saying. You might have said it. I'm not going to ask you to keep your hand up if you said it, but you've heard it, right? You live and learn. That's, a, that's something that happens. And usually this statement is in connection to a bad decision, mistakes that were made, or negative experiences that we wish we could go back and change. But since that is impossible, we must embrace the experience as one that we learn from. How many think that's good advice, right? We live and we learn, right? We learn things. We don't just, you know, I, I think the worst, you know, examples that I have heard are when you see someone who, you know, knew there was a hole somewhere and they continue to step in the same hole over and over and over again, right? Yesterday, we, um, I had the privilege of running in the Savage Race and our sister, where's Jordan at? She's there. She's, she's here. And I, I, I thought it was, I, I thought about myself a couple of times because I told Jordan to be careful like 95 times yesterday. Every, and I'm not exaggerating. She probably thought that I was like her worrying parent or something like that because her dad never said, be careful once. I'm like, Jordan, be careful. Jordan, be careful. Every time we're coming up to a certain spot, and, and it was because the first time that I did the race, what happened was you're walking through mud, and you think, oh, this is just mud. It's going to be muddy. But no, there's also holes. 
And so as you're walking through the mud, you can be like right here, knee deep in the mud, and then all of a sudden you go down waist deep or you go down deep, deep, right? And it's because of the hole there. And I watched people the first time falling and, you know, could potentially get hurt. So I kept on saying, Jordan, be careful. I didn't know that there was a hole anywhere. We got to one place where there was some really deep stuff. But ultimately, the point is that we didn't know that it was there. So if you stepped into that and you tripped or something, okay, you know, it was muddy. You couldn't see it. But other people, they see the same things in front of them over and over and over and over and over and over and over. You got it, right? And they continue to make the same bad decision hoping they're going to get some kind of different results. And so ultimately today we want to talk about learning and living, not just living and learning. The second paragraph says this, however, one of the most ignorant things ever said is, I just want to make my own mistakes. Has anyone ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Usually, this is communicated from a very, ed- and I don't mean this sarcastically, a very educated person. What I mean is this is a person that has learned some stuff. They don't know everything, but they know some stuff. Amen. Very educated person arguing with their parents. Hello. Or an experienced adult about something their parents have already experienced and have prayed their children would never have to experience. Can a parent say Amen. Listen, I, I, want, I want my daughter, I want my son to know I've made enough mistakes for them. Hello. Right? They don't have to repeat these same mistakes. As a matter of fact, when I was meditating on this, wisdom says this. This is what wisdom would say. You will, say will, you will make your own mistakes. That is guaranteed. Say guaranteed. You are going to make your own mistakes. No need to make the same ones your parents and others who have gone before you have made. Hello. All right, you're going to make, yes, we're going to let you make your own mistakes, right? You are going to make your own mistakes. That's a given. That's just something that is going to happen. But you do not have to make the same mistakes as other people did that went before you. One of the things that I do with one of my mentors, um, Pastor Pete, Dr. Pete Owenson, who preached here a couple of weeks on Pastor Appreciation Day, he's one of my mentors. He's a guy that I would consider to be like my pastor. And so he speaks into my life. And one of the things that he did when he was young in ministry is he got together with a gentleman by the name of Steve Brown. And I don't if you know who Steve Brown is, he's on the radio on um, Key Life, and he's the one who, he gives like these little, you know, two or three minute anecdotes, and you know, he's got this hugely deep voice, so you'll know who he is, like if you're listening to the Christian radio station. Think about that. That's his statement, right? It's much deeper than Angel has a deep voice. Steve Brown's voice is even deeper than that. And so ultimately, what, what happens is he gets together with Steve Brown when he's younger. They're both younger. Pastor Peter just started in ministry, and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meet with you once every other month, and I'm going to ask you three questions. And that was the whole thing with, with, Pat, with, with um, Pat, him and their, their relationship. And so what I decided was, I said, well, hey, man, I'm going to go ahead and do the same thing, except I'm going to meet with you once a month. Hello. I'm not going to wait two months for three questions. I'm going to meet with you once a month, and I'm going to ask you three questions because I want you to talk to me. And one of the first questions that I asked him was, what were your greatest mistakes in ministry? Why do you think I ask him that question? Because I don't want to make those mistakes. I want to look at my life and say, hey, man, I don't need to make mistakes that somebody else made. If somebody else made that mistake, why do I need to repeat it? I don't. I shouldn't do that. I should be wise enough to say I don't want to step into that same hole. I don't want to do the same thing because I don't want to experience the negative stuff that you experience. And now we know in God's providence that through our difficulties and through our bad decisions that God still works, right? Because we know the Bible says all things say all things. All things work together. Even our ba- all things under the under the umbrella of all things is bad decisions. Hello, 
Under the umbrella of all things is mistakes. Under the umbrella of all things is us and us being the way that we want to be, rebellion, all of those things are under there. But it says all things work together for the good for them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. And so here's the deal. The reality is that I can go ahead and I can be ignorant. I can make those same mistakes and I can do the same things that they did. Really what I call it is reinventing the wheel the wrong way. Hello. I can do that, or I can learn, and I can live, and I can say, you know what? I can gain some knowledge. I can gain some wisdom. I can gain some insight, and so Jesus gives us his opportunity through our relationship with him. Isn't that awesome that Jesus allows us to listen to him as our instructor? Jesus allows us to be instructed and directed by him, and that way we don't have to experience negative consequences unnecessarily. Here's the reality. We are going to experience things because we live in a fallen world. We live around sinful people. We live in a day and a time. I mean, things are difficult, right? So there are going to be some negative things that are going to happen. But listen, don't bring extra negative stuff on you. That's my advice today. If you get one thing out of the message, don't bring negative stuff into your life. Don't invite negative things into your life. Don't invite consequences. God doesn't want you to have to deal through and battle through consequences. I love this. My uncle, he, or, or not my uncle, somebody posted on Facebook, and they were talking about every decision you make is a seed that you're sowing. And so tell me this, what kind of harvest do you want to reap? So think about that. The decisions I'm making today are really the harvest I'm going to reap tomorrow. Are they not? The decisions I make today are the harvest I'm going to reach tomorrow. I was talking with Brother Mark, and we were talking about Financial Peace University. And as I was sharing with him, we were talking about him doing a class for the younger adults because I was driving with my grandmother, and as I was taking her to the airport, we were talking, you know, I was talking about retiring. And let me just say this about me. I don't see retirement as me going ahead and just going and playing golf for the rest of my life. Hello. If I could just be really blunt, I think that that is a whack way to look at retirement. I'm just saying. I think that that is, I think it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break my back and I'm going to work until whatever age I can retire. And then when I retire, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go fishing for the rest of my life. I'm just going to go play. See, if I went to go play golf, I'd just be spending a lot of money because I break clubs. Hello. I'm not very good, so I don't want to do that, right? But ultimately, some of you are good at that. And you'll be like, hey, I can go do that. The point is that your life has value on it as long as there is breath in your lungs. And so to retire is like saying, I'm going to just stop living. I'm going to stop being, you know, the way that I'm going to be. And so um, I'm, I'm going to stop producing for the glory of God. Maybe once in a while I might do something for the glory of Jesus. But for the rest of my days on this earth, I'm just going to enjoy. I got like three responses. It's all good. Y'all should read a really good book by um, John Piper. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. And you will get some real perspective on what it means to live for the glory and the honor of Jesus to the end of your days while you're here on the earth. The point is I was talking with my grandmother about retirement and we were talking about, you know, because we do want to retire. And what I mean by retire is, and not me, because I, thank God, I work for the glory of Jesus every day of my life in a sense that I am in a, in a ministry full time. My wife, on the other hand, she does, she works for the glory of Jesus every day, but it's not within ministry. Hello. Not in ministry like this. And so there's definitely lots of ministry out there. So we were talking about this, and as we were discussing this, I tell my grandma, I said, man, I said, I wish that I would have known the stuff that I know today back then. I'm gonna, I want to give you one, like, just something that smacked me in the face around our 12-year anniversary. Say 12-year anniversary. That was five years ago. I've been married for 17 years. At our 12-year anniversary, 
My wife and I came to the realization that if we would have done what we should have done, we would have paid our house off five years ago. If we would have used the wisdom that we have today, we would have, why? Because every decision I make is doing what? It's sowing into my future. It's sowing into my next season. And so as I was talking with, 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 with um, Brother Mark, I was saying, I really think, and my grandmother was saying this, she's like, you know what, they need people to educate them. And I'm like, yeah. And you know, here's the thing. When you're young, like younger, because I ain't old, I'm just a little older, right? <laughs> but when you are younger, you know what I'm saying, like Jonathan, you know, like, you know, he's, he's younger. He's, he's, not, he's, he's not too young, but he's younger, right? He's, he's not thinking about retirement. I mean, just be honest. How much do you think about retirement? Not at all, right? So he's going to work. You know, I mean, he, I'm not going to get personal with him right now, but I know when I, was, when I was around his age, I wasn't putting anything into a 401K. I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. And listen to me, because I'm like, I'm young. I got years to think about that. But then you know what? All of a sudden, years creep up on you. Hello. You go run a savage race, and you wake up, and your shoulders hurt, and you're like, glory to God. I need to retire today, amen. But here's, here's the thing. The thing is that when we're younger, we're not thinking about those future things. But if we would allow someone who has been there, done that, to speak into our lives, I promise you, your lives will be so much more focused on the glory and the honor of Jesus. Your lives will be so much more focused on what God wants you to do if you will take advantage of the wisdom of others. And when we're looking at this particular portion of scripture here, we find here that the apostle is communicating some things to us. So I want you to read this first point or say this first point with me. Say to learn and live, we must learn or I'm sorry, we must unlearn how we have been living. Let me say it again. To learn and live, we must unlearn how we have been living. The first thing that the Apostle Paul communicates here, remember, Pastor Pete, he came and he preached through verses 1 through 16. And verses 1 through 16 communicated to us that we are supposed to walk in a certain way, that we have been given gifts through God, and God empowers us to do what? To be people who are able to do works of service, and the end result is what? Is that as we all do our part, as we all speak the truth in love, what happens is the church grows up into who? Grows up into Jesus. And so there is growth that occurs. And so the next thing that the apostle comes and he brings up is verse 17. He says this. He says, this I say, therefore, say, therefore. When you see that word, therefore, it is connecting you to the prior thoughts. He is saying, therefore, because of what you just heard, because of what you just read, because of what I just communicated to you, I'm saying these things to you. He's saying, and testify in the Lord. So he had great authority in what he was communicating. He says this. Look what he says. That you should no longer say no longer. Now, pause for a moment. I want you to realize he is speaking to who? The church. He is speaking to Christian people that he just spent three chapters communicating the wonders and the glory of God. He just spent three chapters telling them about the holiness and the beauty and the splendor of God and telling them about our sinfulness and the fact that we have a sin issue and that if we die in our sin, we experience eternal judgment, separation from God for all of eternity. But Jesus comes and dies in our place and 
that way what? We can become his children. We can become part of his body. We can gain a new identity and we can have a hope for the future. He just spent three chapters ingraining that, just engraving that in their hearts, making sure they understand that. And then he goes on to tell them, now in response to those things that you now know, this is how you should be living. So he wasn't talking to people that weren't Christian, but he tells them here, he says that you should no longer do this. In other words, up until this point, they were still doing some of this stuff. Are you hearing me? You see, there is a reality. There's a reality that some of us are going to experience and some of us will be able to identify with this. And it is this. It is that the longer that you are not a believer, the more set in your ways you become, making it more difficult for you to walk worthy of your calling in Christ due to learned and patterned behavior. And one of Lecrae's songs, you know, for, um, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a rapper who is a Christian, right? And in one of his songs, he said, learning not to curse was like learning to write in cursive. Now, I don't know about any of y'all thinking about back in the days when you were learning to write in cursive. That was difficult. Hello. Right? I mean, you're going like, I, I, what is it, like third grade or something like that? You start to learn right there. Like, All right, I'm about that. I don't know, you know. So, But right? Third grade. So you're starting to write. Man, it's crazy. You're going from, I still don't write in cursive. Hello. I just let you know how hard it was for me. I was like, I forget that junk. I don't have to do that. So I'm just going to print everything, you know. So I don't, I don't need it. And then now you type everything so it's all good. But if you get anything from me, I print everything. That's how, that's how I write. The point is, it is hard for you to unlearn certain habits. There are certain things that occur in your life that you get so used to doing them. Certain activities you participate in. Hello. You come to Jesus and you get saved. And you were so used to going to the club every, I don't know. Some of y'all, I was going to say every Saturday night, but then I was like, some of y'all was every night, just every night. I'm going from here to there, right? <laughs> and you come to Jesus, and you're like, well, what am I going to do now? Well, I'll just go to the club and try not to do bad stuff. Hello. I'm just saying. Certain activities that we used to do. Certain things that we used to participate in. And when you look at the people of Ephesus, you have to understand that this church was no different than us today. They lived in, the, in, in this city called Ephesus, and they had been inundated, surrounded by a pagan value system. Okay, the people around them were totally ungodly, unholy. They worshiped the goddess Diana. You remember the book, of, the, the, the book of Acts when they were in Ephesus. They were worshiping this goddess because there was this rock, this meteor or something that fell from heaven. And they felt like it was something from the gods. And so they worshiped the goddess Diana. But when you think about worship, right, what did that worship consist of? Well, the way that they used to worship was totally pagan and totally opposite. They were worshiping what? With sexual parties, orgies. They were worshiping with drunkenness. They were worshiping with all kinds of sacrifices. That's the way Ephesus looked. It was that way. It was just like us in our day. You think in our day, what do we do outside of Jesus? Well, everybody, and y'all know this, everybody worships. The question is, what do you worship? Some people, they worship sex. Some people, they worship alcohol and drugs. Some people, they worship education. Hello. Some people, they worship notoriety. They worship position, prestige. Some people worship different things. And so what happens is they were surrounded by pagan worshipers and who were absorbed in really self-worship, self-glorification, self-satisfaction. And guess what we're surrounded with? Same thing. The same thing, except most people don't go to a temple. They sit in front of their temple. It's bigger, right? 
It's like that. I want one of those, glory to God. I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm hoping that they get rid of this so I can just take it home and be like, yo, I'm just, no, I'm just joking. I'm joking. My wife would lay hands on me if I put that in my living room. I'm gonna put it in the garage and be like, yo, this is my room, glory to God. What's up? Right, this is my room. I'm gonna hook up some surround. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. The point is, they were surrounded by this. They were, they were surrounded. And so the apostle tells them, he says, no longer, that you should no longer walk as the rest, say the rest. Of the Gentiles or those who are unsaved, he said, in the futility of their mind. That's the first thing he says. This is how they walked. He said they walked in a futility of mind, having their understanding darkened. So the first two things that we notice, and I want you to see, there are four things that every person who does not know Jesus has in common. The first one is this, is that it is intellectual unproductivity. They are intellectually unproductive. Because they are walking around in the futility of their mind with their what? With their, with their minds, their thoughts being their understanding being darkened. So the first area that he deals with is the way that they think. So my question to you is as we go through these four things here, are any of these things resident in you? Do you walk around with the futility of thinking? And when we think about that word futility, it really can be translated as vanity. It's something that's devoid of truth, something that is devoid of, of success, something that is useless or has no purpose. Futility of mind. And so I thought about, give me, let, me, let me think of a good example, right? Something that is good. Even some, you know, when, when, you, when you think about, okay, how about those people that don't know Jesus, right? But they seem to do good stuff. Are they still walking around with a futility of mind? Let me give you an example. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but all of you do know someone who you would consider a tree hugger. If you are one, please forgive me if I just offended you, okay? That was not my intention. My point is, this person is the one that they, you have to recycle everything, okay? They're bothered. <laughs> glory to God. They're bothered by our wasting of water, right? <laughs> that's, that's for Lewis yesterday. We had a good conversation about that. They were giving bottles of water, and he's like, this is one of my biggest things about us. But anyway, we waste water, right? We just, we're, we're water wasters in this. And, you know, other places don't have good water, okay? So he's got a good point. That's not futility. That's just, you know, but anyway, it's one of those type of people. They have to do, the, I mean, everything, you know, they think about everything. They, because you know what the goal is? Here's the goal. Here's the goal now. The goal is to save the planet. Listen, have a conversation with someone who's a deep tree hugger. Hello. Right? That's like a new level right there, deep tree huggers. Have a conversation with them. And their goal is to preserve. Their goal is to, is to, is to save the planet somehow, right? They're talking about global warming and all of these different things bother them in a big way. Can I tell you something? Let me tell you something on a balanced level. You should care about the planet that you've been given. Hello. Right? Don't be just walking around and be like, hey, man, don't, don't take what I'm about to say in my next statement and be like, well, forget all that junk. Bishop said this thing's going to be destroyed. Hello. Listen, the truth of the matter is, at the end of it all, read the book of Revelation. Everything is going to be consumed by fire. Global warming. Hello. <laughs> Everything. It's like global warming. Yes, that's Revelations. The book of Revelation talks about some serious global warming. Okay, so here's my point. It is futile. It is vain for you to become someone who is trying to save the planet. No matter what you do, guess what's not going to happen? The planet is not going to be saved. Creation is going to be consumed and what? Recreated. 
But here's what will happen. You have a conversation with someone who's a, who's, who's, who's a person who wants to conserve and all of that kind of stuff. You know what you're going to feel, man? They, they have some really good points. And you're right. They have some great points. But here's the greater point of it all. It's still futile. Their understanding is darkened. It's, it's, it's unproductivity. And the reason why I use that is because I think that that's a positive example of someone who'd be like, hey, man, they're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing anything wrong. Their point is their end goal, that's never going to happen. Their end goal will never be accomplished. And so what we want to make sure is that we're not that way. The next thing he goes on to say, he continues on to say, having their understanding darkened. The next thing he says is being alienated from the life of God. Why are they alienated? When it says alienated, what does alienated mean? It means that they're aliens. They are separated from the life of God. We talked about this in a couple of chapters earlier. He said, but it's because. He says because. Say because. He's giving us the reason why they're alienated from the life of God. Because of their ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. Because of the ignorance that is within them. So the first thing is, intellectual un- they're intellectually unproductive. The second thing is, they are spiritually separated from God. Alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance. Their ignorance is what? They choose to ignore the truths that are presented to them. They're ignorant to the life of God. They're they're aliens to the life of God because of their ignorance and because of the blindness of their hearts. That word blindness literally means the callousness or the hardness of their hearts. Why are they hardened? Because they don't want to hear what you have to say about Jesus. They don't want to know about the real solution to the real problem because the real problem is not all of these other things that we're trying to fix. The real issue is the sinfulness of man that can only be rectified on the bloodiness of a cross. That is the real issue. They don't want to hear about the solution to what's really going on. So they ignore the things that they should be responding to. And as a result, as you continue to ignore, think about this. For some of you, you grew up in the city, and so you always were hearing, depending on especially what city you were in, you were always hearing sirens, you were hearing, you know, um, cars all the time, you were hearing gunshots, and those were like normal things for you, and so what did you do? You became ignorant to those things to some degree because you were sleeping at night. I mean, some people literally like have to have something on for them to sleep because they grew up in the city, and those noises were so prevalent, right? What happened is you just became hardened to those things around you. You became insensitive. Now, you come to, the, you know, you come to a place where it's, where it's quiet. Guess what? You're like, man, there's no noise. Like there's something wrong. No, there was something wrong over there. <laughs> right? It should be quiet when you lay down. It should be, you know, it, you, you should feel safe. Amen. I'm, I'm just saying, right? And so ultimately, it's the same thing with our life spiritually. God is trying to communicate to us, but I ignore him. He's trying to show you things, you ignore him. And so what happens is your heart becomes hardened, or in this translation, blinded. So the first thing is intellectually unproductive. Second thing is spiritually separated from God. The third thing is they are this, they are morally insensitive. Look what he goes on to say. He says, who being past feeling, say past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And so they become morally insensitive. They are past feeling. Okay, when it talks about this, they no longer feel shame, guilt, or concern for their actions. They don't. 
They no longer feel any kind of guilt. They no longer feel like they're beyond sensitivity. You tell them about sin, it's like you're being around people. I don't know about you, but when I get around certain people, there are certain people that they just have a certain language like I used to have. I used to be a filthy mouth guy. Horrible. I mean, I, I, I couldn't talk to you without curse words coming out of my mouth. And you get around those people that they're talking, they don't even realize they're cursing. It doesn't matter if they're in the presence of a woman. See, one thing that, that, that I, I'll never forget when I was a young man, my, my cousin, and my cousin was a heathen then, hello. Straight up heathen. She's a, she's a pastor's wife now, but she was a heathen, and, but she told me something that always stuck with me. She said to me, she said, Jason, don't become one of those guys who is always cursing all the time. So because that's not attractive to women, plus it's disrespectful. Now, mind you, this is like, I'm, I ain't going to tell you how old I am, but anyway. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm 38. 38 years old. So this is like, I'm 38. So this had to be when I was like 10, 11. So that's like 28 years ago, right? My math is right. 20, man, I'm getting a little older, bro. <laughs> so like 28 years ago, she said that to me. Nowadays, you got women that speak worse than men. Hello. And so the point of the matter is, it's not to condemn anyone, it's just to show that the culture has changed. But you know what I realized? What I realized, man, is that you should still have respect. But what has happened is, as sin has increased, as people have ignored God's warnings, as people have ignored the gospel, what has happened is, they are past feeling. They don't feel that anymore. They don't feel that remorse. They don't feel those sensations any longer. And he says here, he says has given. So the first thing is intellectually unproductive. Second thing is spiritually separated from God. Third thing is morally insensitive. And the fourth thing is that they are behaviorally depraved. They're not just past feeling, he said, but they have given themselves. Say given themselves. That means that they have totally, 100% committed themselves to this thing. In my translation, that is lewdness. And the word lewdness, it literally means unbridled lust. So they're beyond feeling. And so now they have given themselves to lewdness, and they've given themselves to every ungodly thing, uncleanness and greediness. And so they've given themselves to those things. Why do these things matter to us? They matter to us because when you and I are dealing with people who are not Christian, this is how they live. But here's why this matters even more. This matters even more because these things sometimes find their way in the church. There are some times that there are people that even though they make a confession of faith and even though they, decide, they say they're going to walk with Jesus, they live like this. They have these ways of thinking that are in them. They are beyond sensitivity. They are living for their own flesh. They're living for their own desires. And yet they have the audacity to proclaim the name of Jesus as though they are walking with him. As though they love him with all of their heart. And the Apostle Paul challenges this church and tells them that they need to recognize these things. And so as believers, we must recognize when these actions are among us collectively or within us individually in order for us to repent and turn unto the Lord for grace to deal with these sin. Now here's the thing, church. The question is not, will there be sin in the church? There is going to be sin in the church. That is just a reality that's going to happen. Why? Because when a bunch of sinful people are in one place, guess what's going to be there? Sin. It's just going to happen. It's going to be there. The question is, how will we deal with sin? That's the question. How do we address sin within the church? How do we address sin within, among the brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, the thing is, the gospel must be central. When we deal with sin. Because here's the thing. I love this book. It's called Gospel-Centered Christianity. I believe that's what it's called. And it's written by Jonathan Dodson. And one of the things that they do 
They have a thing, it's called fight clubs. And so basically a fight club is, it's a gathering of three men. And this is, this is a book, it's, it's talking to men specifically. I don't think that it's a gender issue. It just happens to be that they do it with men. But there are three men who get together that are Christian. Three men in their groups, and they have three men. And those three men get together, and what they do is they have real accountability with one another. And the first thing that they do is they, 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 they recognize their sin in these groups. They talk about what their sin is. So if someone struggles with pornography, they talk about it. If someone struggles with lying, they talk about it. If someone struggles with stealing, they talk about it. If someone struggles with whatever the struggle is, they're talking about it. If someone struggles with greed, with anger, you know, and, and outbreak, whatever they struggle with, they talk about it. So what they do is they recognize their sin. The second thing that they do when they meet is they, they, they fight their sin. Now the first thing is they recognize what their sin is. The second thing is they fight their sin. They don't give you a pat on the back and say, oh, bro, I know you struggle with this. It's all good. No, it's not all good. The Bible calls us to repentance. And then the third thing, and here's what's so important to this, is they don't just recognize sin. They don't just fight their sin and confront it, but they trust their Savior. They recognize that the only solution to sin is who? Jesus. The only one who's going to set us free is Jesus. The one who has already done the work on the cross is Jesus. And so we can trust his finished work. Apostle Paul brings us to our next point here. Say this with me. Say, to learn and live requires a high value on what is being said. Or what is being taught. To learn and live requires a high value on what is being taught. Now let's read this here really quickly, verses 20 to 21. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. Say, learn Christ. This is the big idea here. This, is the, this, this to me is the heart of this portion of Scripture. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard of him. Is that what it says? It doesn't say of. It says, if you indeed have heard him and have been taught about him. Does it say about him? It says, by him, as the truth is in Jesus. When I looked at the text, what I understood that was so prominent to me was that the Apostle Paul was saying, you guys have heard Jesus. And what I thought automatically was, how did they hear Jesus? Jesus was not walking at that time. Jesus is alive, he's enthroned in glory, but didn't they hear Paul? Didn't they hear Apollos? Didn't they hear these other people preaching to them? And of course they did. He wasn't nullifying that, but he was saying that there was someone who was speaking to them. When I am preaching the gospel, when I am communicating the truth of the word of God, you may hear my voice, but you better hear Jesus. You have to recognize who is the one speaking to you. Why is it so important? Because we have to keep in mind the value we place on education or knowledge will determine how much we learn and live. See, when I really value what is being taught to me, then you know what I do? I learn it. I pay attention. I take notes, right? I, I do the things that I need to do in order to make sure I retain it. Because what? Because I want to be able to apply it. Even, listen, when you love someone a lot, even though they may not be giving you the best advice, you know what you do? You listen to them because you love them, because you value them. But you know what happens is this, and listen, I can say this because I was, I was a younger, a younger, younger, younger man at one time, and at that time, I thought I knew everything. Hello. And there were certain people that, you know what, they were trying to speak into my life, and I didn't want to hear anything that they had to say. I should have valued what they were communicating to me, but we don't. And so why does the Apostle Paul communicate this? Because the people in Ephesus needed to do what? They needed to value the message that was being communicated to them. 
And so here's the thing. You can write this verse down. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 40. Jesus speaks and he's talking. And this is what, he, this is what the apostle Paul is communicating. Jesus is talking there and he's talking about anyone who receives you receives me. In other words, anyone who receives you when you're coming to them in the name of the Lord, they're not just receiving you. They're receiving the one who sent you. He is literally there. Jesus says in another place in the gospel, he says, when two of you gather together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm there. I'm communicating. I'm present. I am part of what is going on. In the midst of your teaching, your preaching, I'm, commun- I'm part of that whole thing. And so Jesus is saying this in, in the book of Matthew, and the apostle Paul is simply reiterating it. He's saying, listen, as you heard the word of God, as you read the word of God, as you studied the word of God, as you meditated on the word of God, guess who was there with you? Jesus. Jesus is there. Well, I, listen, eternal truth, and, and, and we, we, we have to be the, the, these type of people that, that, that take to heart Take to heart the truth that Jesus is there. Because of what? Because eternal truth does not exist outside of Jesus. Hello? Eternal truth does not exist outside of Jesus. We must learn to value the word of God in its preaching and our personal reading and our study and our meditation upon Scripture by sanctifying those times, recognizing Jesus as the source and substance of the message. Are you hearing me? We have to value God's word. You know, Brother Angel, he has, a, he, has a, he has a pet peeve. They always bust his chops about this. But he has this huge pet peeve, and it's called texting in church. Come on now. <laughs> and, I, and listen, listen, listen. I understand we live in a different day and age. Amen. Some of you in here, you didn't bring a Bible, you got a smartphone, you got a tablet. You have some place, some device that your Bible is on. I'm not condemning you for that. But here's the thing. This is, the, this is what happens to us. Some of us, we're really reading our Bible on our smart device. Others of us open our smart device. And listen, I preach from a smart device. And sometimes I'm up here, and what will happen is I'll get a reminder of something that I'm supposed to do. And what does that do when I'm preaching? It obviously distracts me for a moment. But what does that do to you when you're sitting there? It distracts you for a long time. Because you start thinking, I got to do this, I have to do that. Now, you get some people, they feel like they need to tweet at the moment, right? They need to take a picture at the moment. Well, you know what happens when you go on there and you tweet at the moment? You get caught up in all those other tweets at the moment. Hello. And so what have you done? You have taken away. Minister Juan, look, he did this last Friday. He took my phone, glory to God. I was sitting back there on the keyboard. I was trying to do, get some, and he, he, he went ahead. He, took, he said, all of you said, come on, I'm going to collect your phones. Half of your kids didn't even have Bibles, glory to God. So they were stuck. They were like, well, what am I going to do? But glory to God, there's, there's Bibles there. Here is my point. Here is my point. I would challenge you. I would challenge you sincerely. If you don't have a Bible, buy one. Why do I say that? Bishops, that's old school. It's not old school. Hello. There's something different about carrying a Bible. Walking in a place and having this scripture here and then sitting down. And you know what? Guess what's not popping up? There ain't no reminder. There is no notification coming. 
Hello, there is no distraction that's going to happen. You're not going to get lost in Twitter land or Twitterville, hello, because there's no Twitter here, hello. You're not going to get lost on Facebook. You're not, you're not going to get lost, you know, kicking and all that other stuff that's going on. You're, no, because you came and you said, you know what, God, I am sanctifying this time of hearing the preaching of your word, and I don't want anything to distract me. I don't want to miss. Look, some people, they tell me I talk fast. Y'all think I talk fast? Yes, amen, yes, yes, I talk fast. So you don't want to miss anything. Because I'm going, I'm just, and so how you get caught up in Twitter and on a Twitter feed, and you miss my second and third point. Glory to God. And so then you go into your connect group, and you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Well, I don't know what he said. Hello. <laughs> Listen. The truth is this, is that we need to sanctify that time. You need to sanctify your personal time in the scriptures. Listen, I want you to understand this. It's not because Bishop is preaching to you that you need to bring a Bible and stop messing with your smartphone. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the one who is speaking to your life. Jesus wants to communicate with you. And if you don't undivide your attention, listen, for those of you that are married, you're going to be able to relate with this. If I am sitting down or you're sitting down playing with your phone while your spouse is trying to talk to you. How well is that conversation going? It is not going well at all. Your wife is like, or your husband is like, hello, what are you doing? I'm talking to you, glory to God, right? Because you're not paying attention. It's the same exact scenario. For the young people, they know this too. They ain't got to be married because they're over there with their head down in their phone, blah, blah, blah. Mom's trying to talk to them. Dad's trying to talk to them, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you know, mom's smacking them in the head. What's wrong with you? I'm talking to you. Hello. Taking phones away, glory to God. <laughs> The point is you cannot have a conversation with someone if they are distracted by another conversation. Are you here? And so if you are distracted by other conversations that are going on, guess what you are never going to get? You are never going to get the fullness out of Jesus who is speaking to you. Listen, it's the same thing with your personal time. Listen, don't, don't, don't depend on your smart device. You need to have a separated time. Look, when I first got saved, I, I immediately made this habit. And back then, they didn't have cell phones. You know, that was like 20 years ago. And so they had cell phones, but they were probably really big, and I, didn't, I couldn't afford one anyway. Um, so I definitely didn't have one, right? And so the point is, I made sure my phone rang in the, in the kitchen. Guess what I didn't do? I wasn't getting up to see who's calling. It doesn't matter. They can call back. You're not going to miss anything in those. As a matter of fact, you are going to miss something. You're going to miss Jesus paying attention to someone else. You're going to miss Jesus because you cannot just separate time from him. You and I need to sanctify that time that we are in his word, whether it is in his house and we are hearing the word of God or whether we are by ourselves with Jesus. It is important that we sanctify that time because the only way that we're going to learn and live is if we honor what? What we're being taught and who's teaching us. The third thing, say this with me. Say, to learn and live is a daily application of the truth found in Jesus. To learn and live is a daily application of the truth found in Jesus. Verses 22 to verse 24, let's read that together. It says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. To learn and to live requires that we apply daily the truth that we find in Jesus. According to the book of Romans chapter 8 
in verse 32, it tells us this. It says that we are still awaiting the redemption of our bodies, meaning our sinful flesh. See, while we are on this earth, we still have this sinful nature that doesn't go anywhere. Hello. It's still, it's still here. It's, it's, it's that thing that made you want to push that snooze button. Hello. It's a thing that made you want to act funny when that person cut you off or when you cut them off and they were like, yo, what's up? It was that, 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 that little thing that, that, that made you want to act a certain way with someone that you love. Hello. It, it's that, that, that nature that's there, right? That, that, that thing that continuously points out to you, hey, man, you ain't walking on water. You know, that nature, it's still there. We're waiting for the day that we are completely redeemed. We're waiting for the day. This is a reminder that we're still here. Hello. But when we go to be in glory, guess what will happen? No longer do I feel the pull of this flesh because it's dealt with. No longer, even if there was temptation in heaven, it wouldn't affect you. Why? Because there's nothing in you that desires what that temptation is offering. So we're waiting for this redemption. And so here's the question. The question is, do I just live in defeat because I'm still wrapped in a sinful nature, surrounded by sinful people, and sometimes feel the pull of sin stronger than others. Do I just live defeated? Do I just say, oh, man, you know what? Well, hey, man, the grace of God. Is that what I say? Because we're a grace church, right? We understand the grace of God. And so do we just walk around and say, oh, you know, it's all good. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, look, I told you all about what the gospel is. And he goes on to say, now this is how you should live. And then he gives you some personal application. He says this very clearly. He says that you put off. Say put off. He says to put off what? He says to put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He says to put that off. So the first thing that we have to do is the way that we deal with this, and it is a resounding, emphatic no. We do not live defeated because of what? Because of what the gospel declares. Because of what the gospel communicates to us. And so what are we supposed to do? We are to actively accept and lay claim to our new identity. That's the new man that we're supposed to put on. But notice what he says. He says you are to put off. He says you are to be renewed. And then you are to put on. You see those three steps that are there real, real, real clear? So the first thing is you have to put off. And so what, what, remember what I said these guys do in these fight clubs? What do they do? They recognize their sin. Amen. And so the first thing you have to do is the only way you're going to put something off is if you recognize it. It's a picture of like filthy rags, right? It's, it's, it's dirtiness. And so the first thing is we recognize this sin. We recognize those things in our life. The second thing is he says to be renewed in the spirit. Say the spirit of your mind. He's not just saying to be renewed in your mind like Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says. He's not just saying be renewed in your mind. What he is saying is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He's saying we need to go into a deeper place than just the way that I think. But what motivates my thinking? I need to be renewed in that place. That place of experience. That place where I have had, had things happen to me. And that's why I think or act or speak or do the things that I do. I need to be renewed in that place. Be renewed in your spirit. So the first thing is, I take it off. The second thing is, I take a shower. Hello. 
I take a shower in grace. I take a shower in the revelation of what my Savior has done. I take a shower in the truth of Scripture, realizing that no matter what I've experienced, no matter what I've gone through, I cannot live that way because what? My Savior died to set me free. My Savior paid a price so I could live a life of freedom and I could experience overflowing joy and overflowing peace and I could bear the fruit of the Spirit. That is what he does. He does those things for me. And so what I do is I take off, I take a shower, and then I put on. See, see, you, got, you, you, you have to see this for what it is. Think about this for a moment. You go outside and you get all filthy and nasty. And you got some place to go. And you come up inside the house and you have the outfit that you were going to wear. And let me ask you a question. How many of you would just come inside the house and just be like, yo, I'm going to just put this on. I'm not just going to put the outfit on. I'm going to put the outfit on top of the dirty outfit. No good. Why do we try to do that as Christians then? We try to put on our Sunday best. When we get around folks, you know, when we get around people, we try to put on, we, try, we, we, we put on this facade. Hold on a second. Put off. Be renewed. Put on the new man. Put on the new man. Really walk in newness. Really walk in fullness. Really walk in liberty the way that God wants you to walk in this. And he says to put on the new man, I love this, which, is, which was created according to God. Say according to God. That's God-likeness. That we were created, remember in, in, in the garden, the Bible says that we were created in the image and the likeness of God. Sin enters the picture, and then our likeness of God is marred. But when we are born again, the likeness of God is what? Is revived. The likeness of God comes to life. Because what? We were dead in our trespasses. And now we come to life, and that new man is there. And so we daily recognize moment by moment, whatever, weekly, whenever it is that you see these sinful things in your life, you recognize them, you repent of them, and you trust in Jesus. You trust in his finished work for you. As believers, here's the deal, church. We must starve our old nature, reject its desires, and grow in the revelation of our new nature. The Bible says what? We live by faith. We live by faith. Faith in what? Myself? I hope not. Faith in someone else? I hope not. Faith in Jesus. Faith in the finished work of Jesus. Faith in who Jesus says you are because of who he is. That's how we live, church. But we have to starve our old nature. Listen to me. You cannot feed your old nature and expect it to just die. It's like, you know, saying, hey, man, I want to lose some weight, but you don't want to change your diet. I know you thought that was going to happen, but you would figure after like six months or six years, you realize it ain't going to happen like that. Hello. Right? You want, you, you want to lose weight, right? You want to get in shape, then you got to change some stuff. And it's the same thing as a Christian, same thing in the Christian life. You have to change it. You need to starve that old man. In other words, look, the reason why I said that thing earlier, you know, you come to Jesus and there's certain things you used to do, hey, starve that. But listen to me. Listen, please. Anyone, since I use the diet terminology, I'll go ahead and keep it rolling right there. Anyone knows this. You need to stop eating certain things, but you don't need to starve yourself. Are you hearing me? And as a Christian, spiritually, it's not enough just to say no to sin. 
you have to say yes to Jesus. It's not enough to just say no to those desires, but you need to say yes to those desires for God. And that way, as you are starving your old nature, you are growing in your new nature. As you are saying no to sin, you are saying yes to the Savior, and you are growing in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. And so I close with this question or these questions to you. Are you committed to learn to live? That's my question. Are you committed to learn to live? Are you committed to learn to live, or are you just living to learn, or, you know, living and learning? See, because here's the thing that I realize, that if you and I are not committed to learning to live, we're not really living for the glory of Jesus. We're not living for his glory because we're not seeking him for his wisdom in our daily lives. And so if you're not seeking him, if you're not learning to live, then my challenge to you is repent. Ask God for grace. So that way you can grow in that grace and knowledge of who he is. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let us pray together. Hallelujah. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love. And God, I just pray that even as your word went forward today, God, as you spoke to our lives today, Jesus, I pray that we would respond in faith to you. I pray that we would respond in faith, that we would respond with all of our hearts. I pray that we would be submitted and surrendered to you. I pray that you would fill each of our lives, God, with the great desire to know your will, to know your word, to know you in that, Lord God, that we would learn who you are, that we would learn your ways, God, and that we would serve you faithfully. Father, that we would not be those who are just living and learning, but God, that we would be those who are practicing the discipline of learning so that we can live for your glory and for your honor, God. God, give us hearts that are repentant for the areas that we have refused to learn, that we have rejected your counsel, God. Give us hearts that are submitted and sensitive to you, God, and help us to follow you daily. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. And someone said, Amen. come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.